Like most Jewish American kids who grew up in the 60s and 70s, I grew up not liking an entire country, the country of Germany. In fact, uh, like most American Jewish kids whose grandparents lived through or parents were born just after the Shoah, nobody in my family would dare buy a Mercedes-Benz or any German product. In fact, instead of being a status symbol when I was growing up, it was as if having Mercedes or a German product was a symbol of internalized anti-Semitism and being out of touch with what had happened so recently. So it's strange to think that I hated a country or hated a group of people that I had never met before because I associated most Germans with being Nazis, even in the 60s or the 70s. I was steeped in German Jewish history as a child all the way through rabbinical school. I had visited Yad Vashem, the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, traveled to Poland, visited Auschwitz, but there was not anything in me that wanted to travel to Germany ever. Not even the fact that some of my mince relatives were from Leipzig. Until last week, at 50 years old, I had not stepped foot in Germany. Then something changed. When Emmanuel was given the incredible opportunity to take a young adult trip to Berlin, sponsored by Germany Close Up as guests of the German government, I realized my time had come. Rabbi Rodich had been a participant on the trip as a rabbinical student, and he was very eager for us to get a group of young adults and to go to Germany. So we led a group of 25 young adults, I see some of you who are here that joined us in Germany last week. We spent eight days being totally immersed in Jew Jewish culture and German history and culture, which was incredible. It turns out I knew very little about anything outside of the 13, 14, 15 years surrounding the Shoah. I knew that most German Jews thought of themselves first as German and then as Jewish, like many American Jews feel that they are first American and then Jewish. And I knew that the Jewish population of Germany was made up of only 1% of the entire German population before the Holocaust. But in my week there, I learned a lot more. So tonight I want to share a few observations of what it was like to travel with 25 young adult, very open-minded Jews. The organization that hosted us was called, and I have to tell you my German is terrible, so I translated everything. I just got Strasse and Platz and Wiener Schnitzel down, and then everything else I had to have translated. So the organization was called Action Reconciliation Service for Peace, which was founded in 1958 by the Confessing Church, or the German Protestant Church. It states the following. We Germans started the Second World War, and for this reason alone, more than any others, became guilty of causing immeasurable suffering to humankind. Germans have in sinful revolt against the will of God exterminated millions of Jews. Those of us who survived and did not want this to happen did not do enough to prevent it. That's a lot. They also said that the other nations who suffered because of us will allow us with our hands and with our hearts and with our means to do something good in their countries as a sign of reconciliation and peace. And so this organization since 1958 brought Muslims and Jews and Christians together to work on projects all over Germany that foster reconciliation and understanding and opposes national socialism or what we call nationalism in our country. We met young Germans whose grandparents were members of the Nazi youth. Germans who feel shame and responsibility at the actions of their parents and grandparents and are angry and fearful at the rise of neo-Nazis in their presence. 
The third largest force in parliament is now the alternative for Germany, which is their far-right party. And as you might have read in the news today in the New York Times, Angela Merkel's efforts to create a governing coalition has not been successful. It's literally impossible to walk through Berlin and not know that something horrific happened to the Jews. There are memorials and monuments in each and every neighborhood. The concentration camp, Sachsenhausen, which was built as a model for all others in Europe, is a 45-minute bus ride outside of Berlin. The streets are literally paved with brass markers known as stumbling stones or Stolpersteins, placed by an artist whose name is Gunther Demning, a German artist, all over the streets of Europe. Placed in front of homes and businesses where people were deported with their names, the dates of their birth, the dates where they died, and the date when they died. They're everywhere. And we were in Germany on November 9th, which we call Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass, but they call more specifically Reichspogramnacht, or the night of the Nazi pogrom, a more direct way to understand it was the beginning of the mass pogrom that happened across Europe. We spent that night at a commemoration service in a Lutheran church where the Lutheran ministers literally took responsibility and acknowledged the evil actions of their ancestors and acknowledged the work that needed to be done. They had posters all over signifying their opposition to the nationalism that's present, posters saying neo-Nazis not allowed here. During our week there, sadly, 22 of the stumbling stones were ripped out of the pavement in Berlin by neo-Nazis. When I say ripped out, I mean you'd have to jackhammer these things out of the sidewalks and the streets. In the middle of the University Library Square in Berlin is where the Nazis burned the first 20,000 books. Israeli artist Micha Ullman was commissioned to create a memorial there, and he built an underground library room painted completely stark white with empty shelves that could hold 20,000 books. And the only way that you can see it is if you're walking across the plaza, there is a big plexiglass window that you walk across and you look straight down, and it's like a ghost library underneath you. When we visited the Jewish Museum, it was an incredibly strange feeling. We were one of the few Jews that were there, and to me, it almost felt like a museum to an almost extinct people. In fact, when Rabbi Rodich was there five years ago, there was an exhibit called Jew in a Chair. And they welcomed any Jew who wanted to sit in the chair and have non-Jews look at what a modern Jew looks like today. Rabbi Rodich can tell you what it was like because he went and he sat in the chair. That exhibit is still going on. It's in Warsaw right now. The exhibit is how I felt in Germany a lot, a Jew in a chair. And after so much discomfort, we finally spent Shabbat in the traditional liberal Freien How did you pronounce it, Josh, the, the, the synagogue? Okay. Josh over there um, in six days learned fluent German. It was very strange. It was all online, but you could hear him on the bus speaking German fluently. Um, Freien Kulifer. If anybody knows how it's pronounced, I'm terrible with the German. So this liberal synagogue was built in 1913 as an Orthodox synagogue, and the main part of the synagogue was damaged during Kristallnacht, and then it was bombed in 1944, and it didn't matter because in the tiny uh, sanctuary, about 80 members of their, of their congregation welcomed us. And the line from the Israeli philosopher came to me, did the Jews keep Shabbat or did Shabbat keep the Jews? And it felt to me in those moments 
that Shabbat really was a refuge in this stormy reckoning of a week, a palace in time, where we spent with Russian Jews and German Jews who just discovered that they were Jewish, Jews who chose to be, Germans who chose to be Jewish, Israeli Jews, and then 27 of us from this Bavarian-rooted German historied Temple Emmanuel. What were the founders of Temple Emmanuel who traveled by boat or overland in the 1840s during the gold rush to arrive at the shores of San Francisco make of 25 young adult Jews going back to discover ourselves 167 years later? What was unexpected about traveling to Germany for me was not how I felt as a Jew in Germany, but how I felt as an American in Germany with a country of people who have dealt with the shame and continue to work on the reconciliation. It made me think about our own country and our shameful history of racism. What if we erected a memorial at every place in the United States where a lynching had occurred, hanging a noose and placing a memorial marker with the names and the dates of those who were murdered? What if we, instead of destroying the Confederate statues and monuments, we do what they did in Germany, and they collected their shame and they put it on display? It's what the Chancellor of University of Texas, Austin, Gregory Fenvis, the son of Holocaust survivors, did. He had the statues on the UT campus removed in the middle of the night, and then they were placed in UT's Dolph Briscoe Center for American History in an exhibition to remind Americans of our history. He wrote, the University of Texas at Austin is a public educational and research institution first and foremost. The historical and cultural significance of the Confederate statues on our campus and the connections that individuals have with them are severely compromised by what they symbolize. Erected during the period of Jim Crow laws and segregation, the statues re represent the subjugation of African Americans. That remains true today for white supremacists who use them to symbolize hatred and bigotry. Very powerful from the child of Holocaust survivors. And finally, on my way back from the trip on the plane, I was reminded of the Midrash about the two arcs that traveled with our people from Exodus in Egypt to the Promised Land. And the Midrash teaches that there wasn't just one arc that came with us and guided us and created a sense of spiritual sanctuary, but there were two arcs. And the two arcs held first the intact tablets that Moses carried down the second time and placed into the ark. But the Midrash says that an Israelite, someone found that there was merit, there was worth in the broken, shattered tablets that Moses has shattered the first time when he came down from Mount Sinai and was angry at the Israelites. And that someone had gathered up all the shattered pieces and put them in a second ark. And that second ark of broken, shattered pieces also followed the Israelites all the way through that 40-year journey. And the reason I thought of it was because we don't have to look back all those years over 3,000 years ago to understand what it means to be carrying shattered, broken pieces of our history. And we don't have to look back 3,000 years to know that we still are living in a place where there's a lot of shattered and very little whole. But we do need reminders in hopeless times that there is hope for the future. And our trip to Germany, in fact, 25 young American Jews from this congregation who took off 10 days from their families, from their work, from their lives, to learn about themselves, to learn about our history, and the potent ways that Germany has worked towards reconciliation since the Shoah was very powerful, hopeful medicine for me. It reminded me that Hitler did not succeed, that his insidious and evil efforts to rid the wor world of the Jews took a terrible toll on our people, but that Am Yisrael Chai, that the people of Israel are still here, were strong, 
And we are also a people of great memory. But what we do with our memories is completely up to us. Shabbat Shalom.